the Spirit of God is in this house this morning, and I feel like God has something for this body of Christ, for this body of believers. You're going to help me preach this morning is what I have to ask you. You're going to help me preach. Because if you help me preach, we can get out of here and go eat some lunch, but if you don't, it may take a little bit longer. I just want to try that. I don't know. I always hear preachers say that. It probably doesn't work. But I figured I'd try it. I'm preaching, whether you help me or not. I'm going to preach what God's given me no matter what. And I believe with all of my heart that God's given me a word for you this morning. I believe it. I'm not here to fill a void. I'm not here to fill space. There's so many other people that could be standing behind this pulpit besides me. I'm here to speak, thus saith the Lord. God spoke to me. He gave me a word for this body of believers. And I believe with all of my heart that if we will lean into what God is trying to say this morning, that we can leave here with a touch in our lives, with a new, with a new spring in our step, and with a new vision from God, because that's what we're here this morning for. We're not here to see who's here and to see who's who and the what's what. We're here to, to worship God, to give Him everything we have, and to leave here different than we showed up. We're here to show up hungry and to leave fed. And if you will lean into what God has this morning, I believe with all of my heart, you will be fed. I'd like to thank my, my in-laws here. They're here this morning, Terry and Yvonka Westbrook. That's Taylor's parents. Thank you for being here. Let's give them a big round of applause. Uh, I love my father-in-law, mother-in-law a lot. Um, they have been monumental in my life, uh, what they've done for me. Um, they took what my parents had taught me and they completed a, another part of what family means. So it means a lot to have you here this morning in this house with me. If you have your Bibles, you can stand for the reading of the Word. I figured I'd give you a break and let you sit for a second. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be reading about when God calls Abram. We're going to take it, chapter 12, verse 1. I'll give you a few moments to turn there. If you have it, say amen. It reads like this. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and I will make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and I will curse them that curseth thee and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed, which is our promise of Messiah. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem, unto the plain of Mor. In the land, and the Canaanite was in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And quickly, I'm going to jump to Joshua chapter 8. It'll be on the screen. And I'm going to read from verse 24. It says, And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, wherein they chased them. 
And when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And I'll close with verse 30. And it says, Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel and Mount Abal. If you'll bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for what you've already done in this house, Jesus. Thank you for your presence that is so tangible in this place. It's real, God. I feel you here, God. I pray right now that you will anoint their ears. Anoint me, God. Let me step out of the way and do exactly what you want to do this morning. Do a work in your people's life, Lord. Speak words. Speak life in the name of Jesus. And the church said amen. You may be seated. This morning, I would like to speak to you from this not-so-simple subject. Daisies, butterflies, unicorns, rainbows, and daffodils. Yeah, I know. That's wild, ain't it? If you'll follow me, I'm going somewhere. Most of everyone here knows my daughter, Ever. Ever is probably one of the happiest, most hyper little girls that I know. And that's my daughter. I can say that. She's mine. I can speak of her. A friend of mine described her recently as a, like a pillow full of rainbows and clouds and just said she's just so dainty. She is definitely what you would consider a flower child. If you know Ever, you know I'm speaking true of her. She's full of joy, but she's made up of all the good stuff. She's made up of all the things that are good. And Ever and I, we have this tradition. Every night when I put her to bed, Taylor puts Jovi to bed. I let her deal with that because he doesn't like me yet. It's just the way it is. There's hope, I guess. But we have this tradition. Every night when I put Ever to bed, I'll pray a prayer over her and I'll sing the same exact song that I've sang over her for four to five years. Yes, I sing to her. We do this every night. Even when I'm out of town, we do this every night. Taylor will call me and she'll say, hey, there's a little girl waiting on you. You need to get on that phone and sing to her and pray for her and do what you do and so she can go to bed and I can get some sleep. But it's our thing. It's what we do. And almost two years ago, ever started having nightmares. It was rough. Uh, I remember that the first little bit, I kind of shrugged it off. Taylor told me, Ever's having nightmares, and I kind of shrugged it off. She'll be fine. That's okay. Everybody has nightmares. I have them too. But they persisted, and I know that was probably a bad, dead move, but I just kind of thought it'll be okay. But it continued, and it kept getting worse and worse, and it got so bad that she wouldn't go to sleep at night anymore. She was afraid to go to sleep because she was afraid of what she would dream. I'm scared to go to sleep, Daddy, because I know when I go to sleep, I'm going to have bad dreams and things are going to attack me. We fought this for about a week until one night, my then five-year-old daughter looked at me and she said, Daddy, if you would just pray for my dreams, I know they'd be okay. So can you just pray for my dreams? It was in that moment that I realized just how important it was for her and I to continue praying every night. How big of a deal it was to continue going back to that bedside every night to my little girl. And forgive me, I'm trying not to get uh, choked up on this because this is still, still fresh. But it tore me up inside. It tore me up inside to think about my five-year-old daughter fighting with a devil that I'm already fighting with. And I'm 35, well I was 34, 3 at the time, but 33 years old, I, I, it's okay for me to fight with the devil. But don't mess with my five-year-old little girl. How many daddies can understand where I'm coming from this morning? But that night I looked at Ever, 
I looked her in the eye and I said, Lulu, that's her nickname, her Paul gave it to her. We call her Lulu, that's just, if you know her close, that's the nickname we gave her, Lulu. I don't know where it came from, but I said, Lulu, God has you in the palm of his hand. And he's not going to leave you. And as a matter of fact, he's always here. So we begin to pray and we went through our usual prayer, Mama D. I prayed for her, but I did something different at the very end. When I got to the very end, I said, Jesus, I pray tonight that you would give ever sweet dreams. Let her dream of daisies and butterflies and unicorns and rainbows. And she quickly butted in and she said, and daffodils, Daddy. I said, Lord, and daffodils too. Can't forget those. I said, God, place angels in this room. Protect her, fight for her, and let her know that you're here. In Jesus' name, amen. And I walked out of that room and she never had another nightmare again. It's pretty awesome. From that moment on, that's how we ended our prayer. That's how we do it. I did it last night. I did it the night before. This is no made-up story. This is our life. But I, I, knew in that day, I knew that day in my heart that that moment was big. I knew that for the rest of her life that she could look back on that night and be reminded of just how powerful her God is and just how much her daddy really loves her. Because we got to show our kids we love them. But most importantly on that night, what was built forever was an altar. It was an altar for her that was built unto God. But it wasn't until about two months ago that God showed me just how monumental that moment really was. I knew it was big, but I really didn't know how big it was. My wife and I, this was probably three, two, three months ago. My wife and I were going through one of those difficult times in our life. We were hurt. We were confused, mad, broken. We didn't understand. We felt abandoned. We were hurt. We didn't understand it. And we try not to show our kids. We try to hide it from Ever and Jovi. But most of you know that have had kids growing up, they see it. They see the pain and they see the hurt. And one night I was working late at the church. And I got home a little later than usual. And uh, I get home and I see the light still on up in Ever's room. And I open the door and Taylor's like, hey, that little girl's upstairs waiting on you. So I begin to make my way up the stairs. Her door was open. But as I made it to her door, as I got closer, I began to hear my little girl say these words. God, and it was with power, you keep your hand upon my mama and my daddy. I know they're going through a lot of things, and I really don't understand it, but I know they're hurting. So God, you protect them. You fight for them, and you place angels all around them. And God, one more thing, give me sweet dreams. Let me dream of daisies and butterflies and unicorns and rainbows and daffodils. Amen. I hit the floor. I hit the floor. I was a wreck. It was in that moment that I realized that our nighttime prayer routine was much bigger and much more important than I had ever imagined. What I saw as a simple prayer that helped my daughter go to sleep so we could get some rest was actually me helping my daughter build her first altar to God. It was taking a big moment in her life and using it to build that altar. And in Genesis chapter 12, which was our text this morning, that's exactly where Abraham was, or Abram was. God calls Abram. He tells him to separate himself from the climate that he's currently living in. God says, leave your current lifestyle, and I will bless you with a better life. I'm going to bless those that bless you, and I'm going to curse those that curse you, and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed by you. So God tells Abram, just leave everything. Leave your dad, leave your home, leave your friends, leave it all. Leave it. And I know it hurts to hear this this morning. But for God to use us, 
for his promises to come to pass in your life and in my life. We've got to separate ourselves from the world that we're living in. And we have to separate ourselves from the worldly people we're living around. We have to. We want the promises to come to God, come to pass in our life. But it was here where God gave Abram a promise. And it was here in Shechem where Abram realized that the moment was bigger than what he could see with his natural eye. So Abram stops right there and he builds an altar unto God. Abram built his first altar in Shechem in the plain of Mor. And it was in this very plain where the Canaanites chose to worship their gods. You see, when you look at the word plain in the Hebrew, when you dive deeper into the word of God, the word plain means oak tree or terebinth tree, which is often a venue that is, was specifically placed there to worship and offer sacrifices to false deities. It was a place of false worship. It was a place of idol worship. But this, and this was the place where the Canaanites worshipped. And of all places, this was the place and this was the location where Abraham laid claim to the promises of God. It would have been really easy for Abram to look around and see what was going on around him and fall prey to the world that he was living in and worship the local deity with everyone else. And it would have been effortless for him to join in what was going on around him. But easy never comes. The promises, excuse me, never come easy. Easy never grabs the attention of heaven. And easy never delivers what God's given you. So Abram built an altar right top on Right on top of a false god. And it was here. It was here where Abram drew a line in the sand. He chose, to, he chose not to serve the gods of his father. The gods of idolatry. He chose to serve the God, Jehovah. The God in which we serve today. Can I just say this? God is not calling you out of a worldly lifestyle. That you've been trapped in and begging him to move you out of. Just so you can be changed by the local deity of your new lifestyle. God has not called you to fit into the world. God has called us to change the world. God has not called us to move with the tide of the world. God has called us to swim upstream from the world and to change the world that we're living in. God is calling us to be the change this morning. We are called to be different. And we are called to be separate from the world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says it like this, but you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into, this, into his marvelous light. He didn't call you out of darkness so you can move into other dark places. He didn't call you out of a dark room and a dark life so you could wait a few weeks and move back into it. No, God called you out of that so you could build an altar in his life, for, in your life for him. But it's here in Shechem. The most unlikely of places where Abram built his altar. And as we fast forward 600 years to Joshua. Chapter 8. The Bible tells the story of Joshua. And the children of Israel. And how they defeated the people of Ai. It gives detail of the battle gauge. And how, the, how with the help of God the Israelites ambushed the Canaanite people. And they burned their cities to the ground. Joshua and the children of Israel. God's chosen people utterly destroyed that city, and the children of Ai, and the people of Ai. By the end of the day, there was nothing left but an annihilated city in the background. But you see, Joshua chapter 8, yeah, it's a story of victory. It's a story of triumph. And it's a story about God taking a moment of defeat and turning into a day of conquering. But this, this was only the conclusion of what 
started 600 years before when Abram built an altar. Yes, they were victorious. Yes, they conquered Ai. Yes, they utterly destroyed the people. God used the children of of Israel and Joshua to destroy the idolatrous nation. But the real battle, the real battle began some 600 years prior when Abram, soon to be Abraham, received the promises of of God. In realizing how monumental that moment was, Abram stops and builds an altar to the Lord in the same place the battle was won. An act made by Abram that seemed so insignificant in the moment completely changed the outlook of a battle that his people would have to face 600 years later. Yes, yes, Joshua and the children of Israel defeated the people of Ai. But the victory wasn't won on that day. The victory was won 600 years prior. Don't you tell me altars don't matter. Don't you tell me our prayer lives don't matter. Don't you tell me fasting doesn't matter. Living on your knees doesn't. Don't you tell me that my life with God that's consecrated doesn't matter. Don't you tell me my prayers with my little girl and my family don't matter. Don't you tell me an anointed handkerchief doesn't matter. It's the altars that we build. It's the time that we set aside that wins the battles for tomorrow. And it may be looking rough what you're going through today. But I want to tell you something this morning on a Sunday morning. If you will just find a place on your knees... And you can just find a place in God and say, God, I know this moment is bigger than me. And I know those demons seem better than me. And I know my family seems lost. I know my kids ain't back at church. I know the world's in disarray. But God, I do know one thing. That if I'll get on my knees and I'll begin to sing praises to you. And I'll begin to call on your name, God. That you will defeat the world that's going on around me. God, it don't matter how bad it may seem. As long as... As I build my altar to you, the the victory is mine. It's everything. It's everything. We must have altars in our lives. The most important thing you can ever do is build an altar in your life. It's more important than a college degree. It's more important than the next job or the next achievement or some box that you check off in your life. It's more important than a friend group or some ball game that you so boldly miss church on Sunday morning for. It's more important than anything that you can get yourself tied up into. Building an altar to God is the most important thing that we can ever do in our lives. It's bigger. It's bigger than anything else we do. We must build altars. What many people see or saw as a simple prayer that Abram made, I see as the deciding factor in winning the battle. Our altars, your altar, that place in your closet, that place when you feel so alone and no one else is around, that place is a place of conquest. That's a place where you win the battle. That's a place where the battle's decided on your behalf. We win the battle on our knees. You see, the altar is where the earthly meets the unearthly. It's where this natural man meets a supernatural God. And a supernatural God moves in my natural problems and takes care of problems that I've been trying to deal with for years. Our altars is where we come to die. Our altars is where we find a place in God that will we never go back, Brother Hodge. The altars where you leave it. The altars where you get in touch with God. The altars where you shake heaven. It's the altar of God this morning that's the most important thing in our lives. It's a communion place. It's a place of communion with God. And how foolish of us would it be to think that we could ever accomplish what God has called us to accomplish without having that altar in our life. We can never 
never hear me this morning. That's a great, it's impossible. With man, it's impossible. We can never do it unless we build an altar to God in our life. If you're looking for some quick way, some easy way to have the success in your life or have success or have success in God in your life without looking or building an altar, I've got news for you. You'd be the first. You'd be the very first. Noah built an altar. Abraham built four altars. Moses built an altar. Aaron built an altar. Joshua built an altar. Samuel, do you see where I'm going here? Built an altar. David built an altar. Solomon built an altar. Elijah rebuilt an altar. It's about altar. God is calling us back to our knees this morning. God has called us back into his presence. You see, it's on the altar where things come to die. It's on the altar where we crucify our flesh. It's on the altar where we get rid of this old man and we put on the new man that God has called us to wear in our life. It's here. It's nowhere else. And you can build an altar wherever you're at. It doesn't have to be here at this altar right here. You can build an altar in a closet. You can build an altar on the way to to just keep your eyes open on the way to work. You can build an altar at your workplace. You can build an altar at the middle of the biggest, worldliest place. You can build an altar anywhere. But we're called to have altars in our lives. We can't do it without it. We can't do it. It's where, we, it's where we crucify our flesh. You see in the Old Testament, when the priest would place that sacrifice on the altar, that, altar, that, that sacrifice stayed dead. It did. That's the difference in the Old Testament and a New Testament sacrifice. In the Old Testament, when they put it on the, sac- on the, on the altar sacrifice and they killed it, it never got up again. It never moved. But you and I, we live in the New Testament. And you and I are the sacrifice. And that's why the word of God says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Which is why Paul said, I die daily. We have to die. We have to die. I know you don't like to hear this this morning, but you got to die. you got to die out to sin. you got to die out to flesh. you got to die out the things that you want, and you got to say, God, it ain't about what I want. It's about what you want. God, let your will be done, not my will, but your will. Not what I want, but what you want, God. We have to die on the altar. We are the sacrifice. Our lives are the sacrifice. And our altars matter this morning, Brother Glass. They matter. Without an altar, we cannot harness the fire of God in our lives. Go read the Bible. Search it for yourselves. God always moves where an altar has been built. Go look for it. Therefore, the fire of God can only fall where an altar has been built. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29 says this, Our God is a consuming fire. Consuming fire. 
It was on the fire of God. It was the fire of God that consumed David's sacrifice on the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. It was the same fire of God that consumed Solomon's sacrifice in the temple when he dedicated that day. It was the same fire of God that fell and destroyed the 450 prophets of Baal when Elijah called it down from heaven. It was a fire of God when, when it was the fire of God that destroyed the armies of Ahazai when Elijah called that down from heaven. It was the fire of God that fell on the day of Pentecost. It's the fire of God that keeps us going, and it's the fire of God that reproves us. We must have the fire of God in our lives this morning. And that fire, God's fire, it's what we need today. Take a look around. The world is not in the best shape right now. I don't know if you see what I'm seeing or maybe I'm just over the top dramatic. But the world is not in the best shape right now. And it would be super easy. It would be really easy to look around at what was going on around me and say, you know what, God? This world's in disarray. I'm going to stop reaching for people. I'm going to deal with my four and no one more. And that's going to be the end of it. But that's not what God has called us to be this morning, Christian Life Church. God has called us to be a city on a hill. God has called us to reach this place. God has called us to bring our sons and daughters home. God has called us to bring our friends in this place. We have been called to Washita Parish. Wake up this morning. News flash. The reason you're still here is because you still got work to do. When God's done with you, He'll call you up to glory. But as long as you got breath in your lungs, you gotta stand up and say, God, I need your fire in my life. God, I need you to consume my sacrifice. God, I need you to move on my behalf. I need you to move on my in my favor, God. It's the fire of God. We need it. We need it now more than ever. We need it. But I got something to tell you this morning about fire. There can't be a lasting fire without an altar to sustain it. You ever wonder why you walk in here on a Sunday morning and feel God's glory and feel changed? And you're like, man, I could storm hell with a little water pistol right now. It don't even have to be very big. I could put that whole fire out. But by the time Monday shows up, you're ready to quit. You throw up your hands. That must have not been a word from God. That, God, that, that must have been for someone. You want to know why? You want to know why you walk in here on a Sunday morning and feel liberty and you feel freedom? You want to know why it's so easy to get to a, amongst a body of believers and start praising the name of Jesus? Because you stepped into a zone that's full of the fire of God. But when you step out of this zone and you haven't built an altar to sustain it, baby, that fire is going out and you ain't going to make it. So I'm here to tell you this morning, yes, we got to have the fire of God in our life. But if you don't have an altar to sustain it, it's going to go out. And Mondays are coming. And Tuesday, Tuesdays are coming. And I'm telling you this morning, if you will have an altar to, to sustain that fire, it won't go out. Fire. We need it. The fire that we receive from God has to have a place to live. And that place is the altar. 2 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. To show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards them. God wants to send the fire, his word says. He's looking for a person or a church or a body of believers that can just harness the fire of God. He's looking for somebody this morning. I'm asking, are you that somebody? Have you had enough? Are you sick and tired of the world? Are you sick and tired of your family and your friends not showing up to church? Are you, are, are, are you, have you had enough yet? Because when you get enough, you'll get desperate and you'll start building things in your life like an altar. 
We must have a place to be built so the fire can be sustained. And today, today we have some things in our lives that we have to get back into order. Today we have to build back the thing that most of us have forgotten about and thrown out. Today we have to build an altar in our life so the fire of God can have a place to rest. Because if we'll build it, listen to me this morning, if we'll build it, he'll come and the fire will fall. God is looking for a group of people and where his fire can fall, just like it did 2,000 years ago in an upper room in Jerusalem. Just so they can, so that these signs that follow them that can believe, so that can be wrote upon your door. That's a believer. That's a man of God. That's a woman of God. God's looking for someone to pour his spirit out this morning. The question is, have you built a place so God's spirit can rest? Have you built an altar in your life? Have you taken the time out and said, God, I know that, I know that I haven't spent a lot of time with you. But Lord, I promise I will. You build an altar in my life. We have to build on those big moments. We have to have a place where the fire still falls. And I'm coming to a close. Because I'm not a long preacher at all. The Yosemite firefall was inadvertently started in 1872 by James McCaulkey over the owner of Glacier Point Mountain House Hotel. Each night in the summer, McCaulkey built a campfire at the edge of Glacier Point to entertain his guests. He then put out the fire by kicking the smoldering embers over the edge of the cliff. As the glowing embers tumbled, tumbled thousands of feet through the air, they were spotted by visitors below in the Yosemite Valley. Before long, people began requesting to see the firefall. This became a yearly tradition in the Yosemite Valley. People would travel far and wide just to see the firefall of Yosemite. It was, so, it was, it was world famous. Within a few years, the firefall had adopted the following ritual. At 9 p.m. sharp, a master of ceremonies in the Camp Curry would below, uh, bellow out the following exchange with a, uh, with a fire master at Glacier Point. He would say, hello, Glacier Point. Hello, Camp Curry. Is the fire ready? And he'd holler back, the fire's ready. He said, let the fire fall. And the glowing embers were then pushed over the edge into a steady, controlled manner, resulting in a prolonged glittering cascade. It was a beautiful sight. It was beautiful. It's a Yosemite firefall. And there's a story that speaks about a young man who had heard about this Yosemite firefall his entire life. His father would tell him of the marvelous sight as a young boy. He would tell him how the embers would, would fall down and cascade the side of the mountain creating a beautiful display of fire and how all the people far and wide would come just to see the spectacular sight. The young man and his father began preparing, making plans to go see this amazing place. It was a bucket list item that's all he'd ever heard about. And as time went on, the father and son were never able to make it because they were never able to make enough money to travel across the country to see the Yosemite firefall. And eventually... The young man's father passed away. And in 1969, the young man finally, with children of his own, raised enough money to take to make the trek across the country to go see the Yosemite Firefall. He was so excited. The whole ride over, he talked about it with his family. He talked about the marvelous sight that his father would explain to him, how, how marvelous the sight must have been. The family, so full of excitement. That's all he heard about the whole way over there. 
Yosemite Firefall, you got to see it. It's beautiful. It's the most wonderful thing. They pull up to Yosemite full of excitement. And he gets out of his vehicle looking for signs to tell him what time the fire falls and where it'll be. Finally, after the father looks around long enough and gives up, he finds a camp ranger, a park ranger. He looks, for, he looks at her and he begins to explain to her his, his story of excitement. He begins to tell her how far he traveled. Ma'am, I drove across the country. I drove all this way. He tells her the stories of him and his father when they would just sit around dreaming about going to see the firefall and how they planned to come, to get, come together at some point and see it. He says, ma'am, I've traveled a long way and I've waited my entire life to see this firefall. What time does the firefall tonight? I want to make sure I'm there early. I want to make sure that I get a good seat. I've built it up to my family. It's a big moment. So I'm asking you, we, we, we want to be there. Please, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. I've come all this way. And I'm so ready to see it. With disappointment in her eyes, the park ranger looks back at the man and his family. And she says, I'm sorry that you've come all this way. And I'm sorry that you have all these high expectations of what you were going to see. It breaks my heart to know that you've driven this far and you've told your family all about it. But I'm afraid I've got some really bad news for you. The fire no longer falls here at Yosemite National Park. Just a few years ago, the environmentalists deemed it as unsafe. And the park thought it was a waste of time. So they made a decision to no longer let the fire fall. Sir, I'm so sorry that you've come all this way. The fire no longer falls here. And I pray, you know where I'm going, that we never become a church where people walk in here and they need something from God and we look back at them and say, I'm sorry that you've come all this way. I'm sorry that you've heard about a Pentecostal church in Monroe, Louisiana, but the fire doesn't fall there anymore. We didn't need it. It wasn't natural. It didn't make sense. I'm sorry that your mom and your dad and that their marriage is divorced and you've came here to seek help and you came here to seek prayer but we can't pray for you anymore because we don't have the power of God in our church oh I pray that we never become a church that turns people away I pray that we never become a church that says the fire doesn't fall here anymore the only way the only way that we can keep that you can stand to your feet the only way that we can keep that fire burning in our churches, the only way that we can still be that church of the living God is to build altars in our lives, is to build a place with God that's so monumental, that's so big, that when all craziness breaks out in your life, you can say, but God, but God, I know I'm going through a lot, but God. And I ask you this morning in closing, still a place where the fire falls does our family still need God does the world out there still need us or are we just comfortably living inside these four walls I don't know about you but I want to reach the world I don't know about you but I got friends that need Jesus I've got lost people that need Jesus I've got family that I still pray about every day of my life I've got a sister that needs Jesus 
something daddy you hear me this morning I may not be but 35 years old and I may not have kids that are 18 but I got two of my own and I want to tell you what the Lord has been telling me for the last few weeks on my life that I haven't been able to shake and y'all better get hold of it men we are called to be the priest of our homes we are called the one to hold prayer meetings thank you mama for doing it but daddy it's time to get up and build that altar Daddy, it's time to lead by example. Daddy, where you at? We've got to build altars in our lives. And this morning, we're going to build an altar as a church. We're going to build an altar as a church right now. We're going to look back on this moment and say, God, I remember in the month of, what well, was July 31st, the last day of July, that God, I built an altar with my church. I built an altar with my church. So what we're going to do with one mind and one accord, we're going to reach our hands towards heaven right now. Everybody in this room, reach your hands towards heaven. And as they begin to sing this song, 
I want you to begin to pray to God. There needs to be a travail that goes up in this place. There needs to be a cry. Are we still a place where the fire still falls? Are we still the church?